Hey there, welcome to Revealing the Royalty podcast. If this is your first time, this is Erica. I am your host. Um, If this is not your first time, thank you for popping back on and giving a listen. So this new series is called Beauty for Ashes, which was actually fueled by a request um, that my cousin reached out to me about. We have been um, doing some Bible studying together, and we tried to get like a few of them to just jump into. And during our last Bible study, we got into a discussion concerning the scripture that refers to beauty for ashes. And if you don't know about that, then you have come to the right place. Uh, We are going to start in that very spot where we hear about beauty for ashes in the life of Esther. The reason that it's called beauty for ashes is we really wanted to spend some time focusing on women in the Bible. And I'm sure Esther is a very popular um, character, woman in the Bible that is often used in, I'm sure, many women's Bible studies. And in all honesty, it's hard to ignore her, Um, her life story, what she did for her people, everything, you know. But there are some other things that transpired in her story that may have gone missed. Um, ironically, I came across Esther's prayer, and I don't know if you've ever heard about it. I hadn't heard about it until a few months ago. Um, I've often heard the term beauty for ashes, but never really knew what it was referring to or where it came from. And so when my cousin mentioned it and wanting it to focus on women in the Bible, honestly, I assumed that I would be able to easily find a devotional titled Beauty for Ashes that talked about women in the Bible. And sadly, I couldn't. I was actually shocked. And so the funny thing about it is that God kind of put that on my heart. Hey, why don't you just do one? And so humbled by that thought, I thought, why not? So here I am starting this series. As I said, we're going to start with Esther and move forward into other women in the Bible. Uh, And my hope is that we get to explore a little bit more about the heart of that woman Um, reading books of the Bible and also digging into some Apocrypha. Um, Depending on the version of the Bible that you have, it might not be considered Apocrypha for you. It might be a normal book of the Bible. Um, But the Bible that I grew up with, um, 
didn't have Esther's prayer in it. And without getting deep into the woods, um, just a little bit of background about that in case you're leery or concerned. Um, All scripture is inspired by God. Unfortunately, it is man's decision to have removed some books from the original Bible text. Um, And so some of this Bible study, we will have some of those texts that might not be in your Bible. Um, But fear not, I will definitely tell you where you can get that so that you yourself can dig through it and read it. And I will tell you that when I read um, about these women and even some of the other um, chapters that I read, I was just blown away at how much more I learned about just the goodness of God and how he preserved these people and for the sake of this series and how he preserved these women and their spirit and their willingness to stand firm in God's promises. So it is so awesome. I really hope that this journey is a blessing. I hope that you learn something and that you take something away from this and maybe even start another one on your own or invite friends to listen to it and spark even further interest and dig a little bit deeper into just the nature and character of God. Um, Bottom line, I truly hope that this is encouraging for you, um, especially in this day and age. So let us begin Beauty for Ashes. Okay, so as I stated, we're going to talk about Esther. Um, And yes, for this Bible study, um, you will need to switch the version that you're using on your version to the NRSV version because that allows you to have access to the apocryphal texts that we will be dipping into a little bit. Uh, for this series. Uh, And so in starting with Esther and the discussion of Beauty for Ashes, so just to first tell you um, about the actual scripture, um, where this came from. So in Isaiah, Isaiah discusses, he makes reference to this phrase, beauty for ashes. And so, if you can get to it now, I'll give you a few seconds here. So, once you're at Isaiah, you need to go to um, chapter 61. And we're going to look at verse 3. 
Okay. So in this, I won't give too much background, but I'll read it to you. In the NRSV, this is how it reads. To provide for those who mourn in Zion. To give them a garland instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord to display his glory. And so to deepen that a little bit, the New Living Translation actually shares a little bit more about what that word garland means. They call the garland a crown of beauty. So it reads to all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. And so if you are someone that gleans and clings to words, words have power. And so when you hear Esther's prayer, which I'm going to read that to you, um, you begin to understand not only how deeply she felt for her people, but how deeply she was reliant upon God. So now going to Esther um, in the apocryphal portion of the text, it's going to be chapter 14. And we're going to start at verse 1, just so you can hear what she was doing um, upon hearing about the trouble, upon hearing about um, her people and what was happening. Okay, so I will read it. the way that it reads in the um, U version. So here in the U version, it actually has it separated. And so um, your version, it will say additions to Esther 14. And then it starts at verse 29. Then Queen Esther seized with deadly anxiety fled to the Lord. She took off her splendid apparel and put on the garments of distress and mourning. And instead of costly perfumes, she covered her head with ashes and dung. And she utterly humbled her body. Every part she loved to adorn, she covered with her tangled hair. She prayed to the Lord God of Israel and said, Oh, my Lord, you only are our king. Help me 
who am alone and have no helper but you. For danger is in my hand. Ever since I was born, I have heard in the tribe of my family that you, O Lord, took Israel out of all the nations and our ancestors from among all their forebears for an everlasting inheritance and that you did for them all that you promised. And now we have sinned before you and you have handed us over to our enemies because we glorified their gods. You are righteous, O Lord, and now they are not satisfied that we are in bitter slavery, but they have covenanted with their idols to abolish what your mouth has ordained and to destroy your inheritance, to stop the mouths of those who praise you and to quench your altar and the glory of your house, to open the mouths of the nations for the praise of vain idols and to magnify forever a mortal king. O Lord, do not surrender your scepter to what has no being, and do not let them laugh at our downfall, but turn their plan against them and make an example of him who began this against us. Remember, O Lord, make yourself known in this time of affliction and give me courage. O King of the gods and master of all dominion, Put eloquent speech in my mouth before the lion and turn his heart to hate the man who is fighting against us so that there may be an end of him and those who agree with him. But save us by your hand and help me who am alone and have no helper but you. You have knowledge of all things And you know that I hate the splendor of the wicked and abhor the bed of the uncircumcised and even of any stranger. You know my necessity, that I abhor the sign of my proud position, which is upon my head on the days when I appear in public. I abhor it like a filthy rag, a menstruous rag. And I do not wear it on the days when I am at my leisure. And your servant has not eaten at Haman's table, and I have not honored the king's feast or drunk wine of libations. Your servant has had no joy since the day that I was brought here until now, except in you. O Lord God of Abraham, O God, whose might is over all, hear the voice of the despairing and save us from the hands of evildoers and save me from my fear. So during this time, Esther had fasted for three days. And on that third day, She dressed as the queen that she was and went and appeared before the king. During this time, she had to lean on her maidservants 
because she was not able to carry herself. She was very weak. And so they carried her all the way to the king. She was still in despair. She was still with exceeding grief. And, and if you don't know, the laws during that time was that she couldn't just go before the king. She had to actually be summoned by him to do so. But she went before him with the strength and courage of God and trusting that God would soften his heart as she had prayed for. And so long story short, he took mercy on her and granted her to come speak to him. He learned about Haman's plan and was overwhelmed with anger. And just as she had prayed, King Xerxes had did. He reversed what was going on and then decided to save the people of Israel. And because of her actions, the people of Israel continued to celebrate that great time. Had she not prayed, had she not went before the king, could you imagine that an entire people would have disappeared at that time, would have been wiped out? But she went before the Lord and prayed at the encouragement of her uncle Mordecai, who had told her, how do you know that you weren't appointed queen for such a time as this? So in your times where you are most troubled, in your times where you are feeling most doubtful, it could be about the things that God has told you to do. It could just be about change you know making change change is so difficult but know that in those times you can trust and lean on God and tell him exactly how much anguish you are feeling how much despair you are feeling and allow him to give you the courage to still stand before the lion and cause the lion to surrender to what it is God wants to use you to say or do. So how about right now we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for allowing us to learn of your daughters in the Bible and we thank you that you continue to help us learn and glean more from your word and from the character that your word displays about you and about these women that lean and trust in you. Lord, today we ask that you give us the courage to stand firm in your word, to stand firm in your promises and to take those next steps that you are requiring of us, that you are leading us to do. We thank you and we praise you, for you are the only one true and living God. 
the almighty matchless father we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace in jesus name we pray amen Hey there, good morning. Welcome back for our next portion of this series. We are going to talk about Hannah. And if you grew up in the church, maybe you've heard about Hannah already. But I thought it'd be fitting to discuss her uh, for this series. So... Returning to your version, we will start with 1 Samuel chapter 1. And you will find out why this is called Samuel. There was a certain man... was the husband of Hannah. Hannah had to also share Elkanah with his other wife. The sad part about this is that the other wife had children. Hannah did not. The interesting thing, though, about his relationship was that he loved Hannah. So every year, Elkanah would go up and offer sacrifices. He would give portions to his other wife and all their children. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion. And it specifically says, because he loved her, although the Lord had closed her womb. The sad part, too, is that her rival used to provoke her severely, to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So, this went on year after year, and often Hannah would go up before the Lord And then it seems she would even fast because it said, so it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. So this woman would constantly, constantly berate her, right? Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, Why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And so you see, Elkanah is attempting to comfort her. um, But of course, that's not what she's desperately seeking, right? 
So after they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow. O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child. Then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the death of until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be a drunken spectacle? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered her, Go in peace. The Lord God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband. And her countenance was was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house in Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of the Lord. So as you see here in this text, Hannah had been praying. It it doesn't address how long she's been dealing with this. It doesn't address how long she was married to Elkanah. But can you imagine one having to share your husband with someone that was giving the husband what he should be getting from his wife during this time? During these times, all the women were really for was to assist in reproduction and continuing on the name and inheritance of the man. So for Hannah, you know, if if her life's mission is not able to be complete, you know, she probably was feeling worthless for however long they've been married. And back then, 
people live longer you know like so who knows how old she is in this time period who knows like i said how long they've been married and so on top of her already feeling down about herself she has to deal with a woman that is also now putting her down for not producing children so here we hear hannah's anguish and despair She's not eating, you know, like that's, that's a lot. Um, But she still makes her way and goes before the Lord and prays and God honors her prayer. He hears her prayer. And the awesome thing is that we have Samuel, who is her son, whom she does give back. Um, She takes Samuel right to the Eli to Eli the priest Um, and Samuel stayed with him um, had his relationship with God Samuel was the prophet who went on to then go and anoint um, kings and he just he did a lot um, for those beginning stages and so here we are in these moments in time where you can now see and start to connect the dots. So we have Esther in the last um, in the last episode where you learn that she went before God to save all of the children of Israel, which you can imagine is probably millions of people at that time. And then moving forward, we have Hannah whose legacy was part of the anointing of kings. And so you know we're going to move forward in that because that action leads to David and David leads to Jesus. So who knows what one small act that we do here in our lives leads to the progression of further, more amazing blessings. So although I don't know your struggle, I don't know your calling or purpose in life or the deepest desires of your heart, there is one who does. And that is our almighty, amazing Father. He knows exactly what's in your heart. He knows exactly what he's called you to do. He knows what your purpose is. He knows how fearfully and wonderfully made you are, despite whether you believe that or not. My challenge to you is that you truly lean on God desperately cry out to him just because you prayed about it yesterday doesn't mean you can't pray about it today go before him and share your heart with him because he is your help give him your ashes And allow him to take those ashes and turn them into 
your crown of beauty. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we live in a time where there are so many unknowns and so many areas of chaos in many of our lives, no matter what part of life we are looking at. You know, we see issues in the politics, we see issues around the world, we see issues nationally, we see issues locally, within every area of everyone's lives. And Lord, there are things that we may be going through, Lord, and we ask that you help us, Lord. Give us the courage to continue to stand. Give us the courage to continue to walk in your word. Give us courage to continue to remain unashamed of you, unashamed of who you are, unashamed of who you have created us to be. Lord, we ask that your spirit fill us and cover us. Lord, we ask that you go before us and make the crooked roads straight. We ask that you go before us and help us to write the vision and make it plain and to hold fast to it. We ask that you fill our hearts with joy as we continue to seek and rest in your promises. And Lord, we ask that you just continue to cover us and shield us from anything that is not like you. Shield us from anything and anyone that means us harm. And continue to help us and speak for us and fight for us, especially when we can't. Lord, be our strength and guidance in our weakness. Be our love. Be our wisdom. And quiet our heart and mind. Make it sound. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. segment in Beauty for Ashes. So today we are going to talk about Susanna. If you have not heard about Susanna, Susanna is mentioned in the Bible a couple of times. Um, And the best way to um, read specifically about the portion that we're going to speak on as far as Susanna is going to be in the version app so um, if this is your first segment so in the version app you have the ability to change the bible version so you're going to change it to nrsv 
Um, some of them say NRSV, some of them say NRSVCI. Um, so those are the ones you are going to choose, NRSV um, or NRSVCI. So Susanna is mentioned in the book of Luke as one of the women that are around Jesus and she's also mentioned in the book of Daniel but here today we are going to be reading straight from Susanna 13 so you'll have to scroll down a little bit and look for the book titled Susanna so just to give you a little bit of background and summarize the first few verses um, so Susanna was married to Jehoiakim Jehoiakim uh, was a very rich man. Um, he had a house and an adjoining garden uh, in which um, local friends would come and visit him um, and hang out in that garden. So um, Susanna, she was a righteous woman. Her parents, um, her father being named Hilkiah, along with her mother, trained her in the laws of Moses. Um, and that is what she was known for. She was known for having a righteous character and being very beautiful. So during this specific time in Susanna's life, that year, two elders from the people were appointed as judges. Concerning them, the Lord had said... Wickedness came forth from Babylon, from elders who were judges, who were supposed to govern the people. These men were frequently at Jehoiakim's house, and all who had a case to be tried came to them there. When the people left at noon, Susanna would go into her husband's garden to walk. Every day, the two elders used to see her, going in and walking about, and they began to lust for her. They suppressed their consciences and turned away their eyes from looking to heaven or remembering their duty to administer justice. Both were overwhelmed with passion for her, but they did not tell each other of their distress, for they were ashamed. Day after day, they watched eagerly to see her. One day they said to each other, let's go home for it's time for lunch. So they both left and parted ways. But turning back, they met again. And when each of them pressed the other for the reason that they returned, they both confessed their lust. They then together arranged for a time when they could find her alone. So there was an opportune time that came when she went into the garden, specifically to bathe. She had sent her two maids away to close the garden doors so that no one could come in. However, neither the maids nor her saw the two elders hiding in the garden. So she sent the, the two maids to go get olive oil and ointments so that she could bathe. 
While they had to do that, they had to exit the side doors of the garden to go out and get what she asked for. While they were out doing so, these two elders that were hidden said to each other, Look, the garden doors are shut and no one can see us. So they go and approach Susanna and tell her how they are burning with desire for her and that she should give consent and lie with the both of them. They threatened that if she refused, that they would testify against her and tell the the people that a young man was with her and that that was the reason you sent the maids away. Susanna groaned and said, I am completely trapped. For if I do this, it will mean death for me. If I do not, I cannot escape your hands. I choose not to do it. I will fall into your hands rather than sin in the sight of the Lord. Susanna cried out with a loud voice, and the two elders shouted against her. And one of them ran and opened the garden doors. When the people in the house heard the shouting in the garden, they rushed in at the side door to see what had happened to her. And when the elders told their story, the servants felt very much ashamed, for they knew Susanna was nothing like this and nothing had been said about her in this capacity. So, the next day, these two elders brought Susanna before the people in a plot to put her to death. They claimed to the people that she had sent her maids away specifically to be with a young man and that they caught her and they weren't able to catch the man because he was too strong. Sadly, when they were doing this, they had her veiled and she had to come with her parents, her children, and all of her relatives. And these two elders took her veil off so that they could look at her. All Susanna could do at this time was weep and cry out. Upon hearing their testimony, all the people agreed with these two elders and condemned her to death. At that point, Susanna cried out in a loud voice saying, O eternal God, you know what is secret and are aware of all things before they come to be. You know that these men have given false evidence against me, and now I am to die. Though I have done none of the wicked things that they have charged against me. The Lord heard her cry and stirred up the Spirit, the Holy Spirit within Daniel and led him to fight for her. 
And Daniel declared that he will take no part in shedding Susanna's blood. So the people affirmed him and said, Okay, we want to hear your side, for you have been given by God to be an elder. So, long story short, Daniel examined the both of these elders separately and called them out for their shenanigans, if you will, and for their false testimony. And because they both testified falsely, they were put to death and Susanna was saved. He specifically told these two elders, this lie has cost you your head. For the angel of God is waiting with a sword to split you in two, so as to destroy you both. All of the people shouted a great shout and blessed God, because God saves those who hope in him. This story about Susanna is overwhelmingly applicable to many of the things that we travail against in our day-to-day. There are many times where all we do, it seems, is we do the right thing and do the right thing and find ourselves in a similar position where people are speaking falsely against us or spreading rumors and lies or you know hating on us whatever the case is or becoming upset with us because we refuse to give in to diminishing our boundaries or dimming our light to make them feel comfortable and so take a note from Hannah and from Esther and now from Susanna who All three women were at the brink of unending turmoil. Esther was at the brink of losing her entire people. Hannah was at the hands of her maybe sister wife, I guess, if that's what you want to call her, year after year after year, constantly berated to a point of emotional turmoil. And now Susanna was falsely accused and about to die. All of them, to the very last nth degree, depended on God. And God stepped in and saved them or granted their requests to live and to prosper, to have a son. Had they not done so, The people watching them, the people depending on them would not have been present or would not have been able to then go and praise God. So their small actions, small steps, they took one step. Esther took the step to stand in for her people. Hannah took the step to earnestly pray for her deepest desire. 
Susanna took a step to save her life amongst the people. She publicly cried out. And sometimes you may find yourself in a situation where you feel like all eyes are on you. And at the same time, you feel like you're also alone. And only God can save you. And it is in that time that you see you can completely trust and depend and give your all to the Almighty. And he will fight for you. I think it's marvelous and beautiful for Susanna to see how God moves, how he puts a stirring in someone else's spirit to fight on your behalf. What if Daniel had not been obedient? What if Susanna had not been obedient? She chose to be obedient in that time and say, I'm not doing what these two men are requesting. I'm not lowering myself. I'm not dimming my light. I'm not giving in to oppression. So this rings clear yet again to stand firm in what God has said, to stand firm in his promises for your life and to truly lean and trust and depend on him and he will take your ashes. He will take your trial, your trauma, your your pain and turn that into a crown of beauty. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your steadfastness and your awesomeness. We thank you that you are our shield and our refuge. We thank you that you are our strong tower. We thank you that we are learning that as long as we remain anchored in you and leaning on you and just trusting in you and all that you've said, that you will be there for us, you will stand there with us, and you will not ever, ever leave us nor forsake us. Your word says that you hear your children. And Lord, I thank you for hearing us. I thank you that you are hearing the hearts of the women that are listening to this right now, that you are hearing the hearts of your people. Lord, we ask you help us to be and remain courageous and steadfast in your ways. And that we continue to lean on you for all that we need. For you alone 
provider. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello there and good morning. Welcome back to the next segment of Beauty for Ashes. Today we're going to talk about Deborah. So, um, if you maybe just skipped through all the other segments for this series in Beauty for Ashes, what you will need is um, the Uversion app, which is most feasible uh, for this study because we will be looking at these women through the NRSV version of the Bible and the reason for that just in case you possibly just clicked on it because maybe you want to learn about a specific woman um, the reason for choosing the version app and looking at the NRSV version is because some of the versions of the Bible do not have the text that we are looking at. So, in your app now, let's go to Judges chapter 4. And before we get started, I'll briefly just share with you a little bit about Deborah. So Deborah um, is a judge, and what this means is that um, during this time, Israel had been requesting of God a leader, um, a king. You know, they wanted someone to help them solve their problems, um, give them guidance, different things like that, uh, because they went from Moses to Joshua, um, and after Joshua's death, uh, they struggled quite a bit, um, to a point that they, uh, backslid a little bit and started worshiping other gods, And so when they finally cried out to God, uh, God then began to give them what we know today as judges. And so Deborah, a woman, yes, was one of those judges. Now in research, maybe you've done some research and found something, um, there's not much background on Deborah. Um, So in Judges 4... It introduces Deborah um, as a prophetess and that she was a wife. However, um, other theologians, especially in the um, Jewish culture, have stated that possibly she was not a wife because of the word that they used for wife um, was the same as someone who... Um, has a title of work, so like, or someone that lived in a particular region. So 
It's not quite clear if she was a wife or simply a woman of that region, but long story short, she was a prophetess um, appointed by God also as a judge. Now that word prophetess simply means is that she hears from God and speaks on God's behalf. So if God tells her something to tell the people, she then goes and tells them. So that tells us that she had a very deep connection with God um, and she had trust in him. And so as a judge, a part of her duties obviously was judging between um, the issues of the people. If they had a dispute with each other, whatever it was, right? So in Judges chapter 4, when it introduces Deborah um, at verse 4, it gives you that background. It tells you where she used to um, rest and where she used to do her um, duties as a judge. Um, During this time, this was also a time where uh, the tribes of Israel were still fighting and having to wage war with other nations to retake their land. Um, So at this time, she summoned for Barak, uh, who was of the tribe of Naphtali, which is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And she told him a message that she received from God, which was, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go, take possession take position at Mount Tabor, bringing 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, Deborah, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. So, what we find interesting here is that Barak invites her to come with him. And even more so says, if you won't go, I'm not going. So this tells you and I that there's a lot more to Deborah than we know about and then, and also than what we could find. For him to ask her this and to request of this means that Her being a warrior was already known amongst the people. Her being someone that fought like that was already there. So can you imagine, like, okay, maybe in those times she was a woman. Like, I highly doubt she was wearing a dress then, you know. But who knows, maybe she was. But for her to be um, in that type of magnitude... So not only was she a prophetess, but she was a warrior um, and a judge. And how awesome is that, that here we have our first 
recognized woman in this position um, to be honored by man. And then later in Judges, you hear that she was honored and appreciated by the people when they won. They took over Sisera. Um, the people praised them and praised God for their victory. And they sang songs about them. Um, Deborah also had written her own song of praise and song of her own journey. Um, So this is a very interesting text. I encourage you to read through it, um, at least to the end, and into Judges 5, where you actually see um, her words as far as what she felt when she went out there. Um, The awesome thing here is that... um, it's really, it reminds you of some of the Psalms of David. Um, and so I encourage you to finish reading Judges 4 um, and look through Judges 5 to see, you know, how she discusses how the Lord went before them um, and enabled them to have their victory. So, again, we have discussed Esther, who was a queen, um, and then we discussed Hannah, who was barren, and then we discussed Susanna, who is hardly mentioned in, in the regular Bible, meaning the King James, New King James, NIV. However, she's mentioned in the... Um, NRSV to have her own chapter. And now we have Deborah. Um, And so I truly, truly encourage you to really reflect on these women that we've covered so far. Ask yourself, who do you identify with? And again, if you've skipped through um, and simply clicked on this one, I encourage you to go back and listen or read for yourself um, about these women so far, Uh, because as we progress, we'll discuss more women. But I really just think that it is amazing how Deborah in this passage seems fearless. You know, it makes really no mention of her doubting herself or hesitating to go with Barack or hesitating to be the one fighting or even hesitating upon knowing that it is by her hand that Sisera um, would fall, right? So thinking upon these things, reflecting upon these things, having that fearless boldness in your relationship with God is amazing and helpful and really, really knowing that you can trust God to the fullest 
and know that he will give you all that he has promised. And so in thinking of that and reflecting on Deborah's fearlessness and willingness to go, let's pray for ourselves to have the same fearlessness and willingness. Heavenly Father, we thank you for shedding light through your word and for connecting us with you through your word. We ask that you continue to allow for your spirit to minister to us and to allow for us to reflect on your word. Help us to continue to seek to draw closer to you and seek to build that relationship with you to a point where we know and trust and can truly surrender our own wills and truly depend on you without doubt. We know that this world, Lord, tries to inhibit us from putting our full faith and trust in you. It tries to have us take our eyes off you and focus on our problems or the world's issues. But Lord, we ask that you continue to allow for your love and your spirit and your peace of mind fill us and remind us that we can fully trust in you. Help us to continue to see that you are matchless and that you are all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, not only in general, but in our lives. Help us to see and know and feel that you are fully concerned with every detail of our lives and that you only want the best for us, your daughters. So, Lord, we ask that you continue to help us really, truly seek to remain willing, seek to remain fully surrendered to you and trusting of you and your will. Lord, we are so thankful for your amazingness. Your awesomeness, Lord, is astounding. Help us to continue to honor you with our lives and with our character, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Hey there, welcome to Revealing the Royalty podcast, Um, and we are continuing the series of Beauty for Ashes. Hopefully you've had time to reflect on the women that we've already discussed. Uh, We've discussed Esther, we've discussed Susanna, we've discussed Hannah and Deborah. Um, Today we'll be discussing Mary. Um, If you have happened to skip through to this one, a 
little bit of particulars here um, in order to really get some background or in-depth um, knowledge of the women mentioned in the Bible um, because so many people have different versions of the Bible that don't have all of the text. Um, the easiest thing um, to do to follow along um, or to be able to reference back to some of the things mentioned in this podcast is to use the YouVersion app where you can choose which version of the Bible you can look at. Um, The highest suggestion is the NRSV or NRSVCI version because there are extra books in that version that are not in the, the common versions of the Bible that are often used, like the New King James, King James, New International, and so on. Today, especially, um, I don't expect you to have this, but if you do, we will also um, be using the lost books of the Bible, Um, and that is specifically to um, expose you to a little bit about the background of Mary, um, because the particular background that I will mention is not in... um, the common Bibles that we have. Um, And again, like I said in the intro, it's not to say that um, it's forbidden or um, anything like that. It's just to say that um, the Bible is rich with so much information and some of that information was lost or taken out, um, not by God, but by man, unfortunately, to make the Bible more palatable to people. Um, my assumption is that if you're giving a printed text that is extremely heavy to people, maybe they would be reluctant to believe anyway, I digress. Um, I will try to keep it brief and I will try not to go too deep into the woods, but if you are able to get your hands on the lost book of the Bible, the lost books of the Bible, um, I highly suggest it. Um, you can get it on Amazon, um, probably any local bookstore, but you will read about the character of so many more um, people that are mentioned in the Bible and be so in awe, you know, that um, one, they were able to take time to share, you know, and reflect on their own walk with Christ, but um, just to really read like, wow, they were really, you know, like this, Um, very awe-inspiring. But moving forward, let's discuss Mary, the mother of Jesus, Um, not to be confused with all the other Marys that are mentioned throughout the text, but we will discuss Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, Of course, maybe the common background of Mary is that 
she was a virgin um, upon the conception of Jesus, and that is a topic that is heavily disputed, and um, we're not going to dispute that here today, but it is heavily disputed. Many people um, are still like, well, how is that? And really, at the end of the day, whether you, you it's a choice of belief. You believe that it happened or you don't. Um, so, moving forward, Mary, the mother of Jesus, um, we're going to dive a little bit into some background here uh, because there's a lot of Old Testament um, mentionings of the birth of Christ. In order for that to happen, they would have to be discussing Mary. Um, But let's start in Genesis chapter 3. During this time, um, Adam and Eve had sinned. Um, They basically did not listen to a specific instruction that God had given them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They did that. Um, They hid because they didn't want God to see their nakedness, Um, which led God to um, have to be just and punish everyone involved. Um, And that meant that he, at this time, Genesis 3.15, he was speaking to the serpent um, for his fault. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, that might sound very general, um, but all throughout the Bible, you will see this same passage referenced by many prophets and they line that up with the birth of Christ. And in highlighting one of the prophets in particular, Isaiah, um, in chapter 7, verse 14, um, during this chapter and the chapter before it, uh, King Ahaz was in distress because he had word that he was going to be attacked and he needed reassurance. And during this time, prior to the birth of Christ, um, and even after a little bit, um, the people wanted physical signs from God that what they were hearing was right. Um, It was kind of that that belief that I believe it when I see it type of thing. Um, So they will always request signs uh, from the prophets when they were speaking to them. And at this time, Isaiah was telling King Ahaz, no, I'm not going to put the Lord to the test, you know, to give you a sign that he is with you. I'm telling you, he's with you, he's with you. However, um, God, hearing the heart of Ahaz, told Isaiah to tell King Ahaz, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And this is chapter, uh, verse 14. Look, the young woman, the virgin, 
is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, ironically, I remember this name, King Ahaz. So in Matthew chapter 1, when it's discussing the lineage of Joseph. Now, because even though Joseph and Mary were not married at the time of um, her conceiving, lineage historically is always through the man. So in following this historic account, they go through the lineage of Joseph because he is the man. Joseph is of the lineage of Ahaz. Ahaz, obviously, is the lineage of David. Um, but it's the same King Ahaz that Isaiah told that Mary would be having a son, Jesus, who, you know, like, that is so amazing. But that's how God works. Everything lines up. So, moving forward. So that's the lineage, lineage of Joseph, King Ahaz, King David. Um, But in Matthew chapter 1, and you go to verses 18 through 21, that is when the angel Gabriel approaches Mary and tells her that she is pregnant by way of the Holy Spirit. Mary then tells Joseph, who, of course, you know, he's still a man of God, he He doesn't get all upset and kick her out and put her on display. He just decides, I'm just going to dismiss her quietly. Nobody will know. Um, But that's when the angel Gabriel stepped in and advised him, Hey, everything that Mary told you was accurate. It will happen. She will have a son. You will name him Jesus uh, because he will save the world from their sin. Moving forward, in Luke chapter 1, verses 24 through 28, um, Luke discusses how the angel Gabriel went to Mary and told her about having her son Jesus by way of the Holy Spirit. And when Mary asked how would this even happen, um, the angel tells her how the Holy Spirit will come upon her and then she will conceive a son she will conceive and then she will bear a son, Jesus. Um, and the angel goes on to tell her of her cousin Elizabeth, uh, who just had a baby about five to six months prior in her old age, who had been labeled barren. Now, to understand a little bit more about Mary, earlier in this chapter of Luke, you find the lineage of Elizabeth to be from Aaron. Now, who is Aaron? Aaron is the brother of Moses. Moses and Aaron are of the lineage of the house of Levi. Levi, they are known as the people who are priests. So, Mary is of a priesthood. I think that is so awesome like think about that for just a brief moment so you have her husband well soon to be husband who is of the house of David 
a ruler, right? And then you have her, the mother, who's a house of priesthood, you know, serving, knowing, communing with God 24-7. That's their life. So, in order to get a little bit more background of Mary, Mary, now this is from the lost books of the Bible now, there's actually a, cha- a, a chapter titled Mary. It tells you about her life. Um, so Mary, we know that she is um, a young woman, a virgin, right? But we don't know anything about Mary. So Mary's father was actually a priest. Um, and in his priesthood, He was picked on because he didn't have any children. His wife, Anna, was barren. He got so frustrated to a point he would begin to pray and pray and pray and pray and ask God, like, I'm your servant. Why don't I have children? I don't understand why I don't have any children. Anna, as well as a woman during this time, you know, their their purpose was very specific. You know, that they... um, had children. That is how they um, maintained their household, their lineage, their name. Um, and to not be able to do that, you know, that was very crushing. So Anna even herself was praying. So you have both of these people, Mary's parents, praying, 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 praying for a child. So in Mary chapter 3, it discusses how an angel appeared to Anna saying fear not neither think that what you see is a spirit for I am that angel who hath offered up your prayers and alms before God I am here to inform you that a daughter will be born unto you who shall be called Mary and shall be blessed above all women She shall be, immediately upon her birth, full of the grace of the Lord. And the angel gave her further instructions that she would return her back to God um, in three years after her birth. And she will remain in the temple. Um, And during that time, she will also uh, be there fasting and praying. Uh, She will abstain from unclean things and she will never know any man Uh, she will be kept from pollution and defilement and maintain her virginity but in her virginity she will bear a son who will be the savior of the world I found it incredible that the angel told Anna all of this um, prior to conception So, Anna excitedly rejoices, um, gives thanks, and she has her daughter, Mary. Um, And moving forward, they did, um, in chapter 4, they did do so um, as instructed by the angel. When she was three, they took her to the temple and left her there. Um... 
And in chapter 5 of the same book, Mary, it goes on to tell you about Mary, about her character. As she grew, she also grew in her devotion to God. Um, She began to see herself as forsaken by her parents, um, but taken care of by God. Um, She discusses how she um, conversed with God and the angels regularly, um, and that maintained her um, from falling into temptation, into um, doing evil things. Um, and when she hit 14, um, that's when her life changed a little bit. And so during that time, because she had come of age, uh, she had to return home because that is the custom, um, of the country and that returning home was because she was meant to be married. Um, She continued to maintain her own vow of virginity, um, and she was resolved in that to never break that. Um, The priest, of course, saw this as difficult, um, but still she was returned home um, to her parents. So during that time, she still continued to reflect and just be in constant communion with God um, because now things were more difficult for her. So that's when, um, now in chapter 6, that's when Joseph... Um, came into the scene and um, the parents decided okay like we will have them meet and go from there so during this time still um, there were signs given like if, if this is the right choice or not um So if you get a chance to get your hands on the lost books of the Bible, you will learn so much of not just the character of Mary, but the character of so many people that are mentioned in the Bible. So Mary, during all of her times of difficulty you know the difficulty and feeling like she was abandoned by her parents and then the difficulty in having to return home to her parents people she didn't know she did not know them um but she knew God and she kept her relationship with God very strong and maintained that and she trusted God through all of her um challenges in life if you think about it it is challenging to accept you know abandonment and not be able to request answers from the people that abandon you it is challenging to be returned to those people as a a teenager she's 14 um 
and to have the expectation that not only is she returning home to people she didn't know, but that she had to get married because that was the tradition of her people. So not only that, and then during that time, an angel approaches her and says that she's going to have a child all the midst while she's only engaged to a man. So that is a lot of challenges all at once. But she still continued to trust in God and focus on God and just say, okay, God, if that's what you're doing, to me, I, I accept it. But can you imagine this young woman, extremely, extremely young woman, carry that way and be okay with it and she struggled she did she struggled all throughout this text it talks about how she just would feel that weight but then would turn to God and the interesting thing about Mary is that upon learning of her life and what that would be like. Back in Luke uh, chapter 1, after she was told that this is what was going to happen, Luke chapter 1 verse 39, it shows how she went to her cousin Elizabeth. She went and visited with her not only just to confirm that she actually had a baby, but for support and encouragement. Like, how do I do this? I think the important lesson there is to realize that even though Mary was, um, she lived a life very much just her and God, Isolated, not necessarily isolated from everyone. There were people around her in the temple, but isolated within her own self. You know, she didn't have anyone that was her, like, family connected to. Even in that, we're not meant to do any of this by ourselves. We're not meant to fulfill our callings completely by ourselves. Our purpose is one, it's not just for us, it's for God's people. But we're not meant to carry out our purpose and to grow into our purpose and to live out our purpose by ourselves. We're not designed that way. this is evident in her life that when she felt like she didn't have anyone to lean on, she leaned on God. But when she needed um, even more support from someone that has walked the walk that she is about to walk in wisdom, she went to that person. So saying all this to say, From Mary, we can learn, one, 
that it is okay to trust God and to also be terrified and uncomfortable. But in that discomfort is when we lean on each other, especially someone that has been there before. I think there's so much wisdom in seeking wisdom, knowledge, and encouragement from someone who has been in that position similarly before. So if you are in a position where you have felt alone or set apart for an extended amount of time, you're approaching a time where God is about to position people in your life to now help you, speak to you, speak into your life, encourage you to start pouring back into you what you feel you may have been pouring out or missing. And it is okay to request that. It is okay to say, Lord, I trust you. I need support. I need someone to pour into me more of what I am pouring out or more of what I'm lacking or what I feel like I'm lacking. God knows, but he wants you to know that you need that. You can't do it by yourself. You weren't meant to do it by yourself. And so let us pray now for each other and for you to be ready to receive the person that God may put in your life to help usher you along. So Lord, we thank you for your amazingness. We thank you for just how you orchestrate every minute detail of all of our lives. And we thank you that everything falls in line and everything comes together for our good and despite what it may look like despite what it may feel like we thank you that we can just trust you and depend on you and lean on you and Lord we thank you for igniting our purpose we thank you for revealing our purpose to our And we ask that you continue to lead us and guide us and continue to help us to trust and lean on you with every step. And we ask that you also send women into our lives to come alongside us for whatever purpose you may have them serve, whether it be just supporting ear shoulder to lean on or someone to really walk through it with us because we are not meant to do this alone so we thank you and we praise you and we honor you in Jesus name